welcome to Vista Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host for today, Priscilla Charles, and I'm joined today uh, in Studio 2 uh, by Mary Normanen, who's a doctoral researcher at Tampere University. You're very welcome, Mary. We're delighted to have you here today with us. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. Um, so uh, let's move on and get on to the show and get to know you, Mary. Uh, first of all, um, I'd be really interested if you could tell us a bit about, about your background. So I understand that you've studied Spanish and international business at DePaul University in the United States. Um, I had always been very interested in travel yeah. as, a, as a child and growing up. In, I grew up in a very small little town in the Midwest, mm -hmm. and I was always interested to get out of that little town yeah. <laughs> and go see the world. Um, I spent one year of my high school as an exchange student in Finland, yeah. and that only added to my interests. So it was clear to me when I went to the university that I want to study languages, some kind of languages. Some kind and of the, university, the university had a, a program where you select one language and political science and economics, and you turn one of those into your major and the other two form a minor of international business then. I, n I think I never expected to actually do international business, um, but I did end up doing that for 18 years. So wow. pay attention to your minor. You never know if you'll <laughs> you end up doing that. You'll be using it or not. Certainly, I suppose sometimes um, when it's your first, it's the first topic that you study, you're not quite sure, you know, uh, where it'll take you, um, and then you end up actually using it your entire life, life skills. So um, yes. that's fantastic. Thank you. So, um, so you've worked in in various companies, um, including Nokia for 13 years after graduating, which is fantastic, um, after your bachelor's degree. And of course, Nokia, one of the world's most famous telecom corporations. You've embraced, you've embraced different roles since then, from technical writers, uh, writer and senior manager, if I understand. And of course, Nokia happens to be Finnish. So um, can you take us through, you know, um, I understand there's a connection, of course, between, you know, the fact that you, you, um, you stayed in Finland and you joined uh, the company for so long, um, Take us through, you know, what's the story behind um, you staying in Finland and the love story, if I may say. So, yeah, after my exchange student year, I mean, I was 17 years old, so very young. I went home, finished high school, uh, did my university, my bachelor's degree. And then after six years, I suddenly got an invitation to come back and visit Finland. And I decided that would be a very good idea. At the age of 23, you're ready for all kinds of things in life. Um, and on that trip, I decided to, to try to get a work visa and, and stay here. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up doing that. Um, I was doing different kinds of jobs here in Finland. I lived in a small town, um, which was really a great thing because that's where I learned Finnish. I was working in an environment where People didn't speak a lot of English, so I was, oh, I had, and at the time in that town, I mean, there were a couple of Russians and myself, there weren't many foreigners in Finland at all. This mm -hmm. was in 1988, okay. so there were no courses available, so it was, my education in Finnish was very practical, go of to course. work, speak eight hours, <laughs> go 
come home. Of course, I can easily imagine there's nothing better than uh, really emerging yourself into the culture and the daily life and uh, and then either just to uh, learn the language or understand the, the culture and the habits and, uh, and everything. Yes, yes, it was very effective for that. But I also realized I needed to to work toward a job that I really wanted to do. Yes. <clears throat> and my mother-in-law at the time, I, I ended up marrying the man who invited me back for the visit. Uh -huh. um, and his mom, who's a very wise woman, one day asked me if I would be interested in, in teaching in an evening school for adults, mm -hmm. teaching an English conversation course. Yes. yes. And, I, and I did that and I, I, I really loved it. So that's what made me think I, I would love to go into teaching. Oh, and this is why I went to do my master's degree at the University of Uvascula which is in English philology. It's mm -hmm. actually a lot of applied linguistics. The university does a lot of good work in that field. So it's my degree. I, I often compare it to a degree in applied linguistics. Yes. Yes. That's fantastic. And it, it was, it was after the, yeah. And it was after the masters then that I got the job at Nokia. I was just finishing up and I was scheduled to do my teacher training because that's why I was there after all. And then I noticed an ad in the newspaper for technical writers needed at Nokia. Mm -hmm. And so I applied and ended up getting the job. And at the time I thought, well, I'll do this until I'm bored and then I'll do my teacher training. And I gave it about a year. I thought it'll take a year to get to get bored and then I, I can go back to my original plan. And a year somehow turned into 18 years in the industry side before I eventually made my way into teaching. Wow, time flies indeed, um, but uh, that's fantastic. I suppose you've learned so much um, along the way and uh, and those um, those degrees really helped you, I assume, um, even if you were, it was in English, uh, just being in uh, over there in Finland uh, and teaching the, the experience itself must have been fantastic. Yes, yes, very good experience. Um, I did. I was a tech writer then for five years at Nokia, and then I went into management, and I, I was managing technical writers, um, a small team, and then a larger team, and then a, a global team. Um, I didn't really have translation or localization in my scope until uh, after about nine years at Nokia Networks. I went to the Nokia mobile phone side, uh, where I joined as a manager and in that side of things. So I was running the organization that created and got all of the user guidance translated. We did not do the user interface text, but all of the user guides and in-device helps. Um, and it was quite interesting to learn about localization because I learned technical writing from the bottom up. I did every job there is. But localization, I started as the manager of this quite large team, so I learned it top down. Um, but I was very interested in localization from the very first day in that job. So I, localization and translation has been m the focus of my work since then.
Yeah, it's, it seems it's always been part of your journey, really, languages uh, from the start, whether you were um, teaching it itself, teaching language yourself or then learning uh, language and then working as a technical writer. So always uh, very much um, involved in and in, uh, in, in language speaking environment and uh, and uh, and then writing. So that's fantastic. You must have learned um, ropes for everything. Um, and then um, and then, uh, so you left Nokia, and uh, and uh, you 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 obviously embraced different roles. Uh, I, I understand you worked uh, in a language service provider, uh, then worked as a solutions architect, um, and then moved on to um, a position uh, at Tampere University, as well. So I spent five years as a solution architect, and then I, as I said, I found my way into teaching. I had done adjunct teaching the entire time. Uh, throughout the Nokia and language service provider times. Um, but a permanent position was open in the translation studies department, and I applied and, and got that job. So I taught a total of, I think, five years now before I started my, I'm currently on a two-year position as a full-time doctoral researcher or PhD student. Yes, yeah, so um, that, that's fantastic. I, what I would like to ask you is a little bit more about uh, the topic of your research, if you could just uh, take us through your research, because you're on a two-year research leave. You're aiming to complete your PhD, I understand, uh, in 2020. So uh, the research, I understand, is on the users of machine translation. Um, I'm really curious. Tell me a little bit more about your research. Okay, so um, it is an area that is not very well-researched yet, um, except for one user type. One user group, thank, thanks to my wonderful colleagues, um, has received growing attention, and that is the user group of the translators, professional translators who use machine translation and post-edit it for publication. Um, but this is not the user group I'm focused on. I'm, I'm focused on, maybe you could say, all of the other ones. Uh, the last, the only estimate I know of, of the number of users of machine translation is by Google in 2016, and that was that there were 500 million users. Um, I think that we all know this somehow. We all know users. We use machine translation. Um, our brothers and sisters use it. All of our friends use it. Our parents, sometimes our grandparents, are even using tools like Google Translate or Bing to accomplish tasks so they're not they're not using it to translate they're not post editing but they're using it to understand texts that are in languages they don't fully know and so they're gaining access to information they wouldn't have otherwise Um, and of course, why why would you what triggered this peculiar interest in the topic yourself? Because obviously it's such a it's a common topic nowadays. You know, everybody, as you just said, uh, everybody is using it. But beforehand, why did you did you were you thinking about this particular topic for a long time before starting it, starting the research? Yeah, I think I think I was still it was during my Nokia years that I read an article by Jaap van der Meer from the Translation Automation User Society. And it was about how companies were offering um, documentation, customer support articles to users um, over machine translation. So this is something they had done for years. They, If you have a problem, 
before you call the helpline, they'll offer you a database and say, see if you can find a solution to your problem in our database. And that was available to people, um, but it was all in English, of course. And then at some point, companies thought, well, why don't we offer it to people over machine translation? So that when they push the button that says, I would like this help article, but I would like it in my own language, then it machine translates it on the fly and they can read it in their own language. And this was kind of mind boggling. Like my professional life is basically before that event and after that event, because it was the first time I realized that machine translation could be used for something else than as a translator's tool. It's, it can be used in more places than, than professional translators use it. And it, you can kind of see it as a, a new form of communication. And, and I, ever since I read the article, I was totally fascinated by that whole idea and by these types of users. And so when I joined the university and I knew I would be getting to do some research, I knew immediately what the focus of that would be. Of course, yeah, I can imagine. That's fantastic. Um, and still so much to, I mean, to learn. And I suppose um, technology will will just only improve and uh, become more complex. But there's so much um, uh, to take uh, from. So that's fantastic. Uh, thank you so much. Now, um, so you're obviously very much, you know, involved in um, anything related to machine translation. You are the author of numerous papers on uh, on MT published in the past three years. And the latest one you presented was um, a study on decision-making risk gut, gut machine translation in the work of patent uh, professionals that you presented at the Machine Translation Summit in Dublin in August 2019 uh, that Vistatech uh, had the chance to, um, to attend as well. And uh, so can you tell us a little bit more about this particular study? Okay, um, well, when I started studying the users, the non-translator users of machine translation, I started with a very general audience. Um, but I discovered this very thriving user group that I did not know existed. I, I happened upon it by chance, actually. And that is people who work with patents um, every day in their work. They're, they're helping others apply for patents, evaluate patents, um, defend their company's patents. Um, and one of the biggest, the most time-consuming jobs they do in that work is that when there is a new invention, they first have to make sure that nobody else has already invented it. So you, that they're not infringing on somebody else's invention. And so they need to go through, basically, they're responsible for evaluating and reviewing all the inventions of that type pretty much globally. Um, and that in, means they have to read a lot of documents, a lot of patent applications, as well as patents. and maybe 30% or more of those are in other languages. And so they are reading those over raw machine translation. They, they generate a, a translation from Chinese or Japanese or Korean into English, and then they see if they can understand it well enough to use it. Um, and if not, they can always have it translated by a human. But the main decision they're making is not actually whether to translate by human or not, their main decision is simply to see 
if that document is relevant or if it looks like it's relevant to their case, if it's close to the invention they're working on. Um, and if not, they can, they can toss it aside and they don't have to worry about it. But in this quest to find the most relevant documents, um, they use machine translation extensively uh, and pretty much every day in their work. This group has, I believe I'm going to go out on a limb here and say maybe it's the professional group who has used machine translation the longest, if we talk about widespread use. Um, but I found a quote from 2012 from the patent world where somebody said that, I'm sure that everybody who is accessing patents from China and Japan and Korea are using machine translation to read them. And I think in 2012, the situation in translation was not that widespread yet. So actually this group that I happen upon are some of the most long-term users of machine translation that are out there. Wow, fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah, I suppose um, um, it sounds um, like it's, it is very much needed, uh, especially nowadays. And um, now I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, the blog. So I understand that you're the author of a fantastic blog called uh, The Machine Translation Stories, Real People Finding Real Uses for Google Translate and Other MD Tool. So now I'm really interested in knowing a little bit more about the blog because it's not only just talking about machine translation, but you're actually interviewing people. You're just trying to get stories. So you're kind of doing what I'm doing right now, but with other, um, some other guests, if I may say. Tell us a little bit about the blog. Why, why starting the blog? Um, why wanting to know the stories of, uh, of other people? Okay, so when I started my PhD work, um, I recognized immediately that this is an area that is under-researched and there is very little information available. And also, not only in the research world, but in general, people have, they aren't aware, even though we're all doing this, even though we know people who are doing this every day, somehow we are not recognizing that the use of machine translation, the, the position it has in our lives and how its role in helping us to accomplish tasks. Um, that don't require very fine language. Um, so as I said, the most common is simply to understand a text that's in a language that we don't know fully. Um, but I also knew that academic research takes time. It, it, it takes a while before you pull out, carry out the research and write it up and get it published. And I wanted to get information out earlier, more quickly than academic information tends to be published. Um, I also, I have been a professional writer, writer of technical documentation and newspaper columns and uh, proposal writing. So I, I've done all kinds of written different genres um, and I like to play with different genres and I, and I like to use different genres. So part of it was also a need to write something else than academic texts. And then it was also it fed into the research because it was kind of a playground. This is where I tested questions. You know, when you start this kind of research that's an under-researched area, it's not that clear what the questions should even be. What should you be asking people? So this gave me an opportunity to, to learn enough about what people are doing with machine translation to be able to even start coming up with the right questions to ask them. And actually it was, 
uh, I found the patent professionals that I eventually wrote a paper about and another one will be coming out through the blog because I, I interviewed two people for the blog originally for a blog post a, a story on simply you know this is how this professional group uses it yes. but I thought about it some more and realized that this is so rich this is such a, a find actually Absolutely. this group of empty users that I ended up focusing on them and, and making that into its own research project. And there is a story now. I did eventually publish the story, but not until the first paper was published, the first academic paper was published. Wow, that's great. Um, thanks for sharing that with us. And do you have any more um, uh, blog posts coming soon? Any new stories? I saw you had a couple. I was reading some um, really interesting. Any, any stories coming soon? I have stories I would like to write, but I, I have I need to find people to interview. One of one of a, a very a second very strong user group are academics who use machine translation to read articles, scientific articles that are in languages they don't speak. And very often this either they understand it well enough because they have a background in the in the area that they can use it, or they can simply figure out which articles are so important to them that they need to be translated by humans. And so in a way, it, it works a bit like the patent ones too. You're, you're sifting through large amounts of information to figure out the parts that are so relevant to you that you would then have them translated by humans. And this is, I guess, in other use cases as well. I would love to interview somebody who is using machine translation in that way. Um, it would be very interesting. For example, I know in South America, it's a common practice and I would not even need a person who knows English fluently enough to to interview in that language. I once did a study where I interviewed people using Skype translator. So it was a chat interview where all of the discussion was machine translated between myself and the interviewees. Wow. Um, they were all British speakers who knew a little English, and I'm an English speaker who has uh, a little bit of Spanish. Yes. And that turned out to be instrumental. We were, we were. It, it is very helpful. I have found in my research that one of the factors that contributes to making successful use of MT is if you know a little bit of the source, the language that the source text is written yes. in. Yes. So, um, so I would love to find somebody like that, if anybody listening to this recognizes themselves or has a friend who, who, who is like that and willing to be interviewed, um, or other new user groups, uh, there it's empty is starting to be used in the finance industry and in legal settings for similar purposes to sift through large amounts of information to find the information that is relevant and therefore might need human translation. So any of these kind of users or anyone else who has an interesting way of using it, I'd love to hear from you. Absolutely, yes, that's definitely a call to action. If uh, anyone uh, would like to be interviewed by Mary, please let us know and we will let Mary know um, as soon as possible. I think it would be a fantastic opportunity for anyone. Thanks so much, Mary. That's, that's absolutely fascinating and I definitely look forward to reading more stories. Uh, now you're talking about uh, machine translation and the role that, you know, it has in in the translation industry nowadays, you know. So, um, would you like to expand a little bit more on this? Like, first of all, do you think that 
what do you think about you know the future of machine translation in you know let's say 10 20 years technology wise i mean it's going at such a fast pace nowadays we're talking about you know you'd have um, some you know some just will be saying that you know humans won't be necessary in the future some others think that you know you'll need always need you know someone you know um to cross check uh, what, what do you think what's your what's your view on this yeah, well, first I'd like to put in a disclaimer that I am not a visionary. I work with students enough to know that whatever I think is some wild vision I have of the future, they're going to top it with something far more <laughs> advanced. Um, but I would say that in the in the near future, um, what's going to be happening? One thing that's being worked on all the time is, of course, currently the languages that don't have that do not have a rich background of digital resources are harder to translate by machine so uh that's but, but this is receiving a lot of, of of focus right now so hopefully we will start to have a lot more languages available at a higher level of quality um i would like to see things become more embedded i keep reading newspaper articles that i really they're in another language or they're that I don't know, or they are in Finnish and I'd like to share them with friends. And they do not have the simple translate this article button. So I'd, I'd like to see and hope to see things get more embedded and more ubiquitous um, and available everywhere. Um, as for the translation industry, I, no, I don't, I don't see the need for human translators going away really ever. Um, I think if you take other cases of popularized technology, this maybe it happens in some, but I, I was thinking of the case, a very old technology of photography. Um, the camera was invented in the late 1800s. At first, of course, only professionals used cameras and the profession of photographer grew. Um, eventually along came mass market pocket cameras and everybody could take pictures. And this has expanded with more and more devices having the camera in them to the point we are at today where we know that you always have a camera with you. But if I compare my camera use to a professional person's camera use, basically my theory is in my own use, quantity over quality. So if I take enough only halfway decent pictures, then maybe through pure luck, a few of them will be good. But if I would really need photography that I'm going to use to sell products or to disseminate information on things that are important to me or that are my business, then I'm, I'm definitely going to still go to a professional. Sure. And of course, it's been 150 years now on the camera side. So uh, the popularization of technology, I, I don't know if it always leads to less or, or the no need for the professionals. So I think in translation also, anytime that you're going to <clears throat> certain types of information, at least currently are definitely much better handled by humans. They most likely will be also in the future. Definitely will need more people who are checking to make sure um, the latest version of machine translation, the neural ma machine translation has the small problem that it is so fluent the output tends to be very fluent, but may contain mistakes. And it's harder to find those mistakes because it's so fluent. So you need a really sharp professional 
who is evaluating both the source text and the target text of course. Um, to make sure that it's correct. Mm -hmm. And is that the thing? Is that what struck you, struck you the most since the um, since machine translation started? Renew was developed. Um, one of the advancements, really, of machine translation, the neural machine translation. Or is there anything that you've noticed, you've observed since machine translation really was developed throughout the years since until now? And in the translators world, I think there's been a lot of development, a lot of integration into workflows, a lot of focus on on um, researching what users needs are and and to some degree that's leading to new and better design products, hopefully more so in the future. But in the area of mass mass market use of machine translation and the focus on on the non-translator users, then I, I believe that is still in a very early stage as far as research is concerned. We don't know much about how people are using it, what is helping them use it, what makes it, what things help that, you know, help them to be able to understand. Yes. These things are all in their very early stages. Of course. I suppose, yes, um, it's only the beginning, as some, some would say. <laughs> And uh, and uh, I'm sure in 20 years we could have we could I could interview you again and we'd be able to uh, to talk about it uh, much more. Um, well, um, Mary, thank you so much for your time. I have one more questions, uh, one more question for you, and uh, that'll be the end of the interview for today. What I'd like to ask you really is if you have any other project you'd like to talk about today, you'd be working on any a secret project that you could uh, uh, launch today uh, to our audience. So we'd be very, very curious to know what you're working on at the moment. Um, yeah, I'm, my PhD work is taking up a lot of my time, but that's not secret. Um, I have a, a new survey. I, uh, before I did the study on the patent professionals, I conducted a survey with the users of an online machine translation tool that translates whole documents, PDF documents. It's, it's created uh, by a company here in Finland called Multilizer. Um, and I have a second survey. We've worked together to, to carry out a second survey um, of users. So these are much more normal people using it for uh, work or study or their free time. Um, I, we received something like 2,400 responses to that. So, but the, the analysis of that is just starting. So yeah, the, I can imagine there's a lot of responses, but fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So it will take a while, I think, besides I have the other project going on. So it will be, let's see when I, that information will be published. Well, thank you so much for sharing that information with us and with our audience today. Um, Mary, I'm afraid this is the end of our interview today, but really it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and uh, to learn about your research and your career. So thank you so much. Thank you too. This has been very fun. Um, so that's the end of today's show with uh, Mary Norvinen, doctoral researcher at Tampere University. Please tune in again to see the next uh, or listen to the next Vista Talk show where we'll be discussing more interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world.